0: Chapter 40, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C struggles and triumphs of p t barnum chapter five my war on the railroads part two in the spring of 1866 i was again elected to represent the town of fairfield in the connecticut legislature i had not intended to accept a nomination for that office a second time but one of the directors of the new york and new haven railroad who was a citizen of fairfield had been a zealous lobby member of the preceding legislature and had declared that i should not represent the town again as the voters of fairfield seemed to think that the public interests were of more importance than the success of railroad conspiracies combinations and monopolies i accepted their nomination almost THE ONLY EXCITING QUESTION BEFORE THAT LEGISLATURE WAS THE ELECTION OF A UNITED STATES SENATOR. PRESIDENT JOHNSON HAD BEGUN TO SHOW DISSATISFACTION TOWARDS THE REPUBLICAN PARTY WHICH ELECTED HIM, AND THE ZEALOUS MEMBERS OF THAT PARTY WERE WATCHING WITH ANXIOUS HEARTS THE ACTIONS OF THOSE WHO OFFERED THEMSELVES AS CANDIDATES FOR OFFICES OF TRUST AND RESPONSIBILITY one of the republican united states senators was a candidate for reelection. he had been a favorite candidate with me but when i became convinced that he sympathized with the recrant senator and president johnson no opportunities of political friends or any other inducement could change my determination to defeat him if possible I devoted days and nights to convincing some of my fellow members that the interests of the state and the country demanded the election of hon o s ferry to that important office excitement ran high ex-governor william a buckingham was also a candidate i knew he would make an excellent senator but he had filled the gubernatorial chair for eight years and as the present senator had held his office for twelve years and he was from the same city as governor buckingham i urged that norwich should not carry off all the honors that fairfield county was entitled to the office and both before and at the republican nominating caucus i set forth so far as i was able what i considered the merits and peculiar claims of mr ferry i suggested that mr buckingham might rest on his laurels for a couple of years and be elected to fill the place of the next retiring senator in eighteen sixty-eight mr ferry started in the ballotings with a very small vote indeed and it required the most delicate management to secure a majority for him in that caucus but it was done and as the great strife was between the two other rival candidates mr Fairley had scarcely a hope of the nomination and was much surprised the next morning to hear of his success he was elected for the term beginning march fourth eighteen sixty six and one of his opposing candidates in the caucus, ex-Governor William A. Buckingham, was elected two years afterwards for the senatorial term commencing March fourth, 1869. I was again chairman of the Committee on Agriculture, and on the whole the session at New Haven in 1866 was very agreeable to me there were many congenial spirits in the house and our severer labors were lightened by some very delightful episodes during the summer governor hawley hon david gallup speaker of the house hon o s ferry u s senator mr w g co of winstead mr a b migat of new milford mr theodore telton editor of the new york independent mr george pratt of norwich mr s h wales of the scientific american mr david clark of hartford mr a h Byington of norwich and many other gentlemen of distinction were occasional guests at lindencroft several times we had delightful sales dinners and clam bakes at charles island eight miles east of bridgeport a most cool and charming spot in the warm summer days the health of my wife which had been poor since eighteen fifty five prevented many occasions of festivity for which i had all other facilities for lindencroft was indeed a charming residence and it afforded every requisite for the entertainment of large numbers of friends. During the summer, Governor Hawley appointed me a commissioner to the Paris Exposition, but I was unable to attend. In the spring of 1867, I received from the Republican Convention in the 4th District in Connecticut the nomination for Congress. As I have already remarked, politics were always distasteful to me i possess naturally too much independence of mind and too strong a determination to do what i believe to be right regardless of party expediency to make a lithe and oily politician to be called on to favor applications from office-seekers without regard to their merits and to do the dirty work too often demanded by political parties to be all things to all men though not in the apolistic sense to shake hands with those whom i despised and to kiss the dirty babies of those whose votes were counted were political requirements which i felt i could never acceptably fulfil nevertheless i had become so far as business was concerned almost a man of leisure and some of my warmest personal friends insisted that a nomination to so high and honorable a position as a member of Congress was not to be lightly rejected, and so I consented to run. Fairfield and Litchfield counties composed the district, which in the preceding congressional election in 1865 and just after the close of the war, was Republican. In the year following, however, the district in state election went Democratic, although the Republican state ticket was elected. I had this Democratic majority to contend against in 1867, and as the whole state turned over and elected the Democratic ticket, I lost my election. In the next succeeding Congressional election in 1869, the 4th District also elected the only Democratic congressman chosen from Connecticut that year, although the state itself was Republican again by a considerable majority. I was neither disappointed nor cast down by my defeat the political canvas served the purpose of giving me a new sensation and introduced me to new phases of human nature a subject which i had always great delight in studying the filth and scandal the slanders and vindictiveness the plottings and fawnings the fidelity treachery meanness and manliness which by turns exhibited themselves in the exciting scenes preceding the election were novel to me and were so far interesting my personal efforts in the canvas were mainly confined to the circulation of documents and i did not spend a dollar to purchase a vote shortly after my opponent was nominated i sent him the following letter which was also published in the bridgeport standard bridgeport connecticut february 21st 1867 w h barnum esq salisbury connecticut dear sir observing that the democratic party has nominated you for congress from this district i desire to make you a proposition The citizens of this portion of our state will be compelled on the first Monday in April next to decide whether you or myself shall represent their interests and their principles in the 40th Congress of the United States. The theory of our government is that the will of the people shall be the law of the land. It is important, therefore, that the people shall vote understandingly and especially at this important crisis in our national existence in order that the voters of this district shall fully comprehend the principles by which each of their congressional candidates is guided i respectfully invite you to meet me in a serious and candid discussion of the important political issues of the day at various towns in the fort congressional district of connecticut on each weekday evening from the fourth day of march until the thirtieth day of the same month both inclusive if you will consent to thus meet me in a friendly discussion of those subjects now so near and dear to every american heart and i might add possessing at this time such monotonous Interest to all civilized nations in the world who are suffering from misrule i pledge myself to conduct my portion of the debate with perfect fairness and with all due respect for my opponent and doubt not you will do the same never in my judgment in our past history as a nation have interests and questions more important appealed to the people for their wise and careful consideration it is due to the voters of the fourth congressional district that they have an early and full opportunity to examine their candidates in regard to these important problems and i shall esteem it a great privilege if you will accept this proposition please favor me with an early answer and oblige truly yours p t barnum to this letter mr william h barnum replied declining to accept my proposition to go before the people of the district and discuss the political questions of the day during the canvass i received the following letter which together with my reply was published in the bridgeport standard and in the new york tribune litchfield county connecticut february twentieth eighteen sixty seven p t barnum dear sir although fairfield county was entitled to the nomination of the copperhead candidate for congress from the fourth district and under ordinary circumstances it would have been given to william f taylor of danbury you are perhaps aware that they have changed their tactics and nominated a wealthy namesake of yours simply for the purpose of using his money against you a democratic ex-congressman is said to be preparing a tariff of prices to be paid for votes and they boast that their candidate will expend fifty thousand dollars to secure his election already i am credibly informed The greenbacks are being freely circulated by his friends. I write to ask what your intentions are in regard to counteracting this effort of the Copperhead Party. Do you intend to fight fire with fire? The day of election is fast approaching, and we are confident of success, as all our friends are wide awake. Respectfully yours the new york tribune commenting upon the correspondence said mr p t barnum union candidate for congress in the fourth district of connecticut was lately solicited by a friend to spend money in a manner deemed objectionable by mr barnum and he responded as became a patriot the following was my reply to the above letter bridgeport february twenty third eighteen sixty seven esq dear sir your kind letter of the twentieth inst has caused me painful emotions i now wish to say once for all that under no conceivable circumstances will i permit a dollar of mine to be used to purchase a vote or to induce a voter to act contrary To his honest convictions the idea that the intelligent reading men of new england can be bought like sheep in the shambles and that the sacred principles which have so far guided them in the terrible struggle between liberty and slavery can now in this eventful hour of national existence be set upon at auction and knocked down to the highest bidder seems to me as preposterous as it is shameful and humiliating but if it is possible that occasionally a degraded voter can thus be induced to sell birthright for a mess of pottage god grant that i may be a thousand times defeated sooner than permit one grain of gold to be accursed by using it so basely i will not believe that american citizens can lend themselves to the encouraging a fatal precedence which ignores all principle and would soon prevent any honest man however distinguished for his intelligence and loyalty from representing his district in our national councils none could then succeed except unprincipled vagabonds who by the lavish expenditure of money would debauch and degrade the freemen whose votes they coveted no sir grateful as i am for the distinguished honor of receiving a unanimous nomination for congress from the loyal union party in my district i have no aspiration for that high position if it is only to be attained by bringing into disgrace the noble privilege of the free elective franchise. Think for a moment what a deadly weapon is being placed in the hands of tyrants throughout the civilized world, with which to destroy such apostles of liberty as John Bright and Garibaldi, if it can be said with truth that American citizens have become so corrupt and degraded so lost to a just estimate of the value and true nobility of the ballot that it is bought and sold for money my dear sir any party that can gain a temporary ascendancy by such atrocious means not only poisons the body politic of a free and impartial government but it is also sure to bring swift destruction upon itself and so it should be i am unaccustomed to political life and know but little of the manner of conducting a campaign like the present i believe however it is customary for the state central committee to assess candidates in order that they shall defray a proper portion of the expenses incurred for speakers and documents to enlighten the voters upon the political issues of the day to that extent i am willing and anxious to be taxed for light and knowledge are always desired by the friends of human rights and of public order but i trust that all money used for any other purpose in the pending election will come from the pockets of those who now as during the rebellion are doing their utmost to aid traitors and who still unrepenting are vindictively striving to secure at the ballot box what their southern allies failed to accomplish on the field of battle if any of our friends misapprehend my true sentiments upon the subject of bribery corruption and fraud I hope you will read them this letter. Yours truly, P. T. Barnum. P. S. The following is the law of Connecticut on the bribery of electors. Section sixty four. No person shall offer or receive any money or other thing by way of gift, fee, or reward for giving or refusing to give a vote for electing members. Of the general assembly or any officer chosen at an elector's meeting nor promise procure or in any way confer any gratuity reward or preferment for any vote given or to be given in any election and every person guilty of doing shall forfeit the sum of seventeen dollars one half to him who shall prosecute to effect and the other half to the treasury of the town where the offence is committed and every person who shall be convicted a second time of a like offence shall be disenfranchised that section commends itself to the obedience of every law-abiding voter and i shall be the last to consent to its violation ptb when Congress met, I was surprised to see by the newspapers that the seat of my opponent was to be contested on account of alleged bribery, fraud, and corruption in securing his election. This was the first intimation that I had ever received of such an intention, and I was never, at any time before or afterwards, consulted upon the subject the movement proved to have originated with neighbors and townsmen of the successful candidate who claimed to be able to prove that he had paid large sums of money to purchase votes they also claimed that they had proof that men were bought from an adjoining state to vote and that the office of the successful candidate naturalization papers were forged to enable foreigners to vote upon them, but I repeat, I took no part nor lot in the matter, but concluded that if I had been defeated by fraud, mine was the real success. End of chapter forty, part two, recording by Lindemarie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.